What I wanted to do today is essentially wrap up this series and um, the way I'm going to do that is, is essentially go through certain highlights, highlight certain things that we've talked about, elaborate on them a little bit more in different ways, and then try and go into something new to try and tie everything together. Okay, and so um, if you guys have been here, this, this verse has been a key verse that I've been using this entire series. And, I think it's self-evident why this is such an applicable verse. And I've mentioned that this verse is, is referenced twice in the New Testament, in James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And they're actually quoting an Old Testament proverb from Proverbs 3.34. And this is the verse. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we've been talking all along, I hope by now if you've been here, that you appreciate the importance, the absolute importance of humility. And this, I mean, this verse, it's like the implications of this verse in and of itself are quite intense, right? It's like God resists the proud. And it's like, man, nobody wants God resisting them, do they? And so it's like, we need to be humble. We need to know, okay, what is humility? And that's sort of the question I've been trying to address that I hope we'll uh, I'll address even more today. Is that what is humility? Because like, unless we actually know what humility is, how are we going to actually be able to walk this out? Because if God gives grace to the humble man, we want God's grace. And so we need to know what it is that he's looking for. And uh, about 10 years ago, I mentioned that uh, the Lord was really speaking to me about the importance of humility. And I kind of went on this journey because I was, I was like, what is humility? You know, it's like, the way my brain works is like, I want a conceptual definition. This is humility, so I know what to do, so I can live out this imperative that's so crucial as a, a, in the kingdom. But I couldn't find that in the Bible. I couldn't find a clear, like, Jesus saying, this is humility, you know, dictionary definition. And so, you know, I, I started kind of trying to search out the scriptures. Okay, what is humility? And I realized, man, humility is throughout, it's woven throughout the entire Bible, especially the New Testament. And so what I've been trying to do in this series is answer this question. This is the key question in this series is, what is humility and what does it look like? And so if you were here a few weeks ago, I started off by saying, okay, what, what does humility look like? Jesus, right? We're disciples of Christ. He's our example. And he's, he's, the exemplary prototype of what humble humility is. I mean, he, he didn't, he, he demonstrated to us by wash, like the, one of the last things he did on earth, this is phenomenal, is he washed his disciples' feet. John 13. One of the last acts he did, and you know, that was, that was pretty offensive. If you know the scripture, Peter was, Peter didn't want that to happen. He's like, no, Lord, I should be washing your feet. Why? Because in that culture, it wasn't uncommon for their, everybody, most people, to have servants. And if you had servants, the most base servant was the one who washed the feet. That was like the lowest of the low. It's kind of like, today might be, if you, if so, you know, it's like a task no one wants to do. be like wash, maybe cleaning toilets. No offense if you do that. But you see what I'm saying? No one wants to do it. And if you do it, it's like, man. And so Jesus was demonstrating this is... You should be doing this amongst yourselves because humility is such a crucial role. And I didn't come to lord it over you. I came to show you to be a servant, to give my life as a ransom for everybody. And so Jesus really exemplified what humility is. So, of course, we can learn a lot from him. On the other hand, the prototype of a prideful being would be Satan. And so I'm... I, the first message, I won't give all the scripture, but I just want to give a few highlights because I want to juxtapose, I want to show you side by side the difference between Jesus and Satan. Okay, and this is one of the key differences. So these are exam so the first example here of humility from Philippians 2, 5 to 8, which in my opinion is one of the critical, crucial, foundational scriptures on humility. It's talking about Jesus. He, uh, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, look at this, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had every right to, but he, just, he chose not to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. I just talked about that. 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now look at this Old Testament scripture about Satan. Look what happened with him. Talking about pride now. Verse, chapter 14, verse 13 says, You said, notice, in your heart, and, and I'll, I'll mention this in a bit, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that pride and humility are matters of the heart. It says, You said in your heart, look at this, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. The, the exact opposite of Jesus, right? It's like he's grasping equality with God. In fact, he's saying, I'm going to make myself even higher than God. And then it says, but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Now look at the, look at the consequences now of pride and humility. So this is continuing on with Jesus. It says, therefore, because he humbled himself, it said, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so it's like, remember, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says that more than once in the Gospels, and as you're going to see in other scriptures, I'm going to show you that principle happens over and over again. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. If you exalt yourself, on the other hand, look at what happened to Satan. So this is Isaiah 14, 11 to 12. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. How you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So it's like you see the side by side. It's like, okay, Jesus humbled himself to such an extent that God placed him, exalted him to the highest place possible above every name. Whereas the Satan, he had a high position in heaven. He was cast down to the lowest place. So you see that like extreme example of both. And that's why this principle is for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who humble themselves will be exalted is a crucial principle that we all need to grasp from this because it's like it's the same with God resists the proud, right? It's like if you're going to get into pride, what's going to happen is that's going to be your fall, right? Pride become, comes before a fall. And so it's crucial that it's like and also I want to say this. I think most of us as believers would be like, yeah, humility's cool. Like, yeah, it's like we, we would say, yeah, humility, that's where it's at. If you're humble, that's awesome. Sometimes we have a problem when people are exalted, though, if we're honest, right? And so, but notice, notice God exalts the humble, okay? That's a natural consequence of humility. And so it's important that we don't, you know, they call it the, the tall poppy syndrome, Yeah. It's like if God exalts somebody in a position because of their humility, it's important for us not to, you know, criticize or assume it's because they have wrong motives or whatever if it's God who did it, right? And so there's that other side of things too where we don't want to get in jealousy for that. Now, what I mentioned a few weeks ago and last week is that humility and pride are matters of the heart. And I want to show you this with Jesus and Satan again. So this is Jesus... Matthew, from a, sorry, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 30, we all know this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn, learn from me, right? We're supposed to learn from him. For I am what? Gentle and humble of, notice this, heart. I'm humble of heart. It's a condition of the heart. And look at what's with Satan now. It's the exact opposite. This is from Ezekiel 28, 16, and 17. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fire stones. Your heart became proud. That was his fall. Pride entered into Satan's heart. And if you remember the scripture we just talked about in Isaiah, notice how many times Satan said, I. I and it said, he said this in his heart. I will ascend. I will do this. I will make myself higher than the most high, Right? It's all about, and, and he was saying that in his heart, and that's what caused his fall. That's what caused God to cast him from heaven. So you became proud in your heart in account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, 
and I made a spectacle of you before kings. And if you remember, we talked about that verse where Jesus said, I saw Satan let fall from lightning from heaven. He's alluding to these verses about Satan. And it was pride. You can see here, it was pride that led to his fall. So the point is, pride and humility are conditions of the heart, which is an important thing, because we're asking the question, what is humility? It's important to know that it's a matter of the heart. In fact, I'm going to show you now that, that we can't really base our assessment of whether people are humble or proud based off of outward appearance. Okay? And I'm going to actually show you that. If you remember, I talked about this interesting verse, this important verse from Samuel, where, where, where Saul the king fell, and, and basically God told Samuel the prophet, look, I want you to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons, because one of them has a heart after mine, and I want you to anoint them as the next king. So Samuel went to Bethlehem, Okay, and I talked about this. The point here is looks can be deceiving, because Jesse brought seven of his sons. He had eight. And look at this, verse 6, when Samuel arrived to Bethlehem, it's like he sees Iliam, the oldest. He's like, man, this guy's awesome. This has got to be the king, because he looks the part. He has the muscles. He's tall. He looks like a king, right? So he's looking at this guy, and he's like, this has got to be the guy. And look at what the Lord says in verse 7. Do not consider his appearance. We're talking about the outward appearance now. Or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So crucial, man. Like, you just look at the New Testament, it's all about the heart. You know, you just look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, what are your motives? Because on the surface, you might be doing things that look really good, they look really humble, but they're not at all. In fact, if you remember last week, we talked about how Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and said, you worship me, with your lips, it sounds so great, you look great, but your hearts are far from me. And so it's, it's like God's looking at the heart, and it's important for us to keep this in mind that it's not necessarily what we're doing on the outside, why are we doing those things? Okay, so what I want to show you now, because I'm talking about how looks can be deceiving. This is the next chapter in Samuel. Okay, so we all know the famous story about Goliath, Right? It's like this giant who's almost 10 feet taller is taunting the armies of Israel. And he's saying, look, if you send someone to fight me, whoever wins, the, the other will either be your servants or vice versa. And, and he's so tall. Imagine a 10-foot giant. Crazy. Okay? So, so it's like whenever he, he would do this every day, and when he would do this, people were trembling. The army of God, like the, arm, the Israel, Israeli army was like shaking in their boots, of course, right? So it just so happens one day, Jesse, David's dad's like, go, go bring your, because David wasn't even old enough to be in the army, okay? That's how young he was, okay? So he sends him, he's like, go bring this food to your brothers, bring back a report of how things are going. David goes and he hears Goliath taunting the army of God. So look at, this is verse 26 in chapter 17. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills this Philistine, Goliath, and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a teenager saying this. That's impressive, right? It's like, wow, okay. Now when David's oldest brother, Eliab, remember, this is the guy God rejected. This is the tall muscle Brad Pitt guy who Samuel's like, this has got to be the guy. And God's like, no, I rejected him because I'm looking for the, the heart. Okay, look at what he said. He heard David speaking and he got angry and he said, why have you come down here? Yes. And who, with whom did you leave these sheep in the wilderness? He's kind of making fun of him. He's like, what? Like, why aren't you with the sheep, David? <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. And so, and, and with whom did you leave the, those with the sheep in the wilderness? Look at this. I know your pride and the wickedness of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. So notice, okay, so he's, he's seeing David, this teenager, who's looking after the sheep. And if you remember, when, <laughs> when Samuel came, it's like the Billy Graham of the day, comes to Bethlehem, goes to Jesse's house. Jesse didn't even give David the memo because he's like, it would never be David. It wouldn't be the, the teenager punk who's looking after the sheep. He's just the, you know, no way it'd be David. So he didn't even give him the memo that Samuel was looking for his sons. And then when the Lord rejected all seven of his sons, he's like, do you have another son? And he's like, yeah, David. 
yeah, we'll go get him. He's with the sheep. So that's how, it's like looking at outward appearance, right? But he had the heart. He had the heart. So notice this now. What's the difference? So on the outside, David looks pretty conceited, doesn't he? That's the point. It's Eliab's looking at, who's this David think he is? He's going to take on this giant? This guy's super prideful. That's what he's saying. And in fact, he's making a judgment about David's heart. He's saying, you have wickedness in your heart. You're full of pride. The question is, was he prideful? Was David prideful? And I'm going to show you, no. The, what, made him, what made him humble, the question is, who was his confidence in? David's confidence. And I'm going to show you scripture showing it wasn't in himself. If his confidence was in his own strength and his own abilities, then, it, yeah, he would be arrogant. He would be prideful. But that wasn't the case. On the outside, sure, he might have looked prideful, but really he had faith, and he had so much faith in God that he's like, huh, I might be 15 or 16 years old, but I can take on this giant, not by my strength or my might, but by the Lord's spirit, right? By his power, his might. So his confidence was in the Lord, and that's what made him humble. It was faith. Okay, and see, this is why faith is so important in the New Testament. It's like, who is your faith in? Is it in yourself? Is it in your own self-righteousness? Is it in the things you do? Or is it in Christ's sacrifice? Is it in what God's righteousness? And that's the key difference. It's, it's all about the heart. Who is your confidence in? Okay, so sometimes pride can look humble. And I'm going to show you this in a minute. On the other hand, sometimes humility can look prideful. Because We're going to show you later, I'm going to show you later, that faith and humility are one and the same. And sometimes faith can look like pride, just like David. It's like, you're so prideful. No. The difference is, who's your confidence in? And if you're super confident in the Lord, that's faith. That's humility. Okay? So, genuine, true faith is genuine humility, even though it can look like pride to others. The key difference is whether your trust and confidence is in yourself or in the Lord. So look at this. So I'm just giving you a few highlights here. So this is verse 32 in 1 Samuel 17. So Saul hears about David, like, you know, and he, he, he brings him to his court, and he's talking to David. And David's like, don't lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Look at this, verse 37. This shows David's, where David's confidence was in. The Lord, who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay, so his confidence was in the Lord completely. It wasn't in himself. So look at this. Now he, so Saul sends him. He's with Goliath, this 10-foot guy. And look what David, so this is verse 45. David said to him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. His trust, his confidence was completely in the Lord, and that's why this guy had a heart after God. If you remember in Acts 13, 15, I think it is, maybe 13, 22, whatever it is, even though David had a lot of issues, God, God's assessment of him, even a thousand plus years later, was David was a man after my own heart. Why? Because he did everything I asked him to do. He did all of my will. So it's like, man, don't we want that assessment when we meet the Lord face to face? Him to say, you, this person was a man or a woman after my own heart. And David was. Okay, so David is an example to us of like, yeah, we want to have confidence in the Lord. Okay, we want, to, we want our faith and our trust to be in the Lord, not in ourselves. And that's, where we, that's what leads to us falling, is if we start getting prideful and thinking we got to do things on our own to get righteous. So even though faith and pride can sometimes look similar in appearance, the difference is whether your confidence is in your own strengths and abilities or the Lord's. Now, what I want to say is that it, there's the flip side of things, too. Not only can humility sometimes look like pride, like how David... Uh, David's brother was like, you're so prideful. Sometimes pride can look like humility. And the Bible calls this false humility. You guys have probably heard that term. What is false humility? It's when you do, this is my definition, but I think this 
This is essentially what it is. When you do things that make you look humble, but you're actually taking pride in your humility. Okay, so it's like getting puffed up because of how humble you are. Now, this is a scripture, one, I think the only scripture where the New Testament talks about false humility, so I'm going to just read it to you so you can see this. This is from Colossians 2, 16-23. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day, talking about outward appearances, right? Because it's not about that, it's about the heart. So Paul's like, don't let people judge you whether you're doing these righteous things or not. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Look at this. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. This is it. They're delighting in their humility. And the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Since you've died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why do you, as though you still belong to the world, submit to its rules? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. I'm going to show you this verse, but if that, that might sound familiar to you based on what we talked about last week. But just remember that. I'm going to show you the next slide. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. We're talking about outward appearance now. So they look great, maybe. They look really humble. But their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So you might remember this from last week. We talked about how Jesus, how the Lord sometimes offends the mind to reveal what's in the heart. And this is a scripture from Matthew 15, 17, where he royally rebukes the Pharisees because they're like, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And, and Jesus gets really mad. And he's like, man, you guys are nullifying the word of God by your traditions. He's, he's letting them have it. It's like, man, traditions, traditions are a sneaky thing. We got to, we got to, we got to watch out to make sure we're not basing what we do off of tradition rather than what the Word of God says, because that's what they were doing, and they were putting their traditions above what the Lord was saying. Okay? That's the only scripture I can think of that says anything that anything can nullify the Word of God, it's traditions, which is very interesting. But anyway, then Jesus says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now, this is from Colossians 2.22, what I just read. These rules are based on merely human commands and teachings. He's alluding to this verse in Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips. Their outward looks great. Okay? But look at this. Their hearts, their hearts are far from me. And this is why, man, the heart is crucial. Okay? And then, right? So that's why humility and pride are matters of the heart. And it's important to know, okay, what's your heart motives? And that's why last week I spent that whole message talking about how can you know what's in your heart? One of the major ways God does this, I showed you, is through offense. Because through offense, often we say things and that is actually exposing what's in our heart. Look at this. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Looks can be deceiving. Okay, that's my whole point. Looks can be deceiving because we're talking about humility. We're talking about pride. How do we humble ourselves? What does humility look like? What's pride? It doesn't look like outward appearance for sure. Because you can do things that look awesome till the cows come home, but if it's done in, a, in prideful, self-righteous motives, then that's a bad thing. It's actually going to cut you off from God's grace. God resists the proud. Okay, so the same act can be done with either pride or humility, but only God truly knows whether someone has a prideful or humble heart. God knew David had a humble heart. And, and that's, that was his assessment of David. It doesn't matter what Eliab said, that he was prideful and wicked in his heart. God knew otherwise. So if you just think of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The whole Matthew, verse, chapters 5 through 7. It's like Jesus is confronting this over and over again. It's like, why are you doing the things you do? When you fast, don't put ashes on yourself so that people can see how awesome and humble you are. Right? Instead, fast. Don't let anyone know you're fasting because the Lord will see, you, see what you're doing in secret and reward you. When you pray, don't pray outside so everyone sees how religious and awesome you are. Do it in the secret place. And the Lord who sees you in the secret place will reward you. When you give, don't trumpet it like the Pharisees. 
They, they would literally do that. They would make like trumpet sounds. Look at me, I just gave to the poor. Like that's absurd, right? But it's because they were wanting to look the part. They were wanting to look humble. They were wanting to look religious. And Jesus says that's their reward. Their reward is they look great to people. But your reward shouldn't be that. It should be doing it in the secret place because your father will see what's done in secret and reward you for it. It's all about the motives. So the key question then is, is your faith or confidence in yourself or in God? That's the key question. And if you remember on this, now I want to show you this again because the first message I, I showed this verse, this portion of scripture, because I want to show you the scripture right after it. Because I've mentioned this before that often Jesus says things and things are placed in the Bible um, to contrast and to make a point. Okay, and I'm going to show you the verses right after this, how Jesus shows us how we actually humble ourselves. Okay, so if you remember, this is in the context, Luke 18, just talking about the persistent widow And Jesus commends her faith by she went to the unjust judge over, over, and over, and over, and over again. And the Lord Jesus says, am I going to see that kind of faith when I come back to the earth? Okay, then, (laughs) see, these kinds of religious acts that are really good. Don't get me wrong. Prayer, fasting, all this stuff is really good. Shark-infested waters. Why do I say that? It is easy to get into pride with those things if you don't watch out. It's easy. So look at this. Look at this. Note, remember my question is, who is your confidence in? Is it in yourself or is it in the Lord? So look at, now this is Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness. Okay? And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Talking about prayer, fasting, and giving. To pray. Note, and those are the things, interesting, right? Those are the things the Sermon on the Mount hit on. Prayer, fasting, giving. Why? Right? That's a good question. Look at this. Okay, so they went up to pray. Uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Look at me. I'm awesome, God. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Look at me. <laughs> like, that's, right? How prideful is that? God's not impressed. Now look at the tax collector. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, because the other one was doing good things. He was praying, fasting, giving. I don't care. What I care about, hypothetically, the Lord's saying, is what, why are you doing these things? Is it because you're taking pride in your own self-righteousness? Are you humble like this tax collector who literally was a sinner? And that's why I gave the quote in the first message. God's not so concerned about right and wrong. He's more concerned about whether you're humble or proud. This is a perfect illustration of that. Because the tax collector was a sinner. He wasn't right. The Pharisee was right, quote-unquote, theologically. He, right, he was doing the good stuff from the law. But that doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. So Jesus says, I tell you, this man rather than the other one went home justified before God. Look at this. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. This verse. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I want to show you what are the verses right after this. It's important to look at the context. Because the question I want to answer today that I'm finishing this series off is, how do we humble ourselves? Like, that's a good question, right? It's like, okay, humility is important, granted. How do we humble ourselves? Fortunately, Jesus answers us. Look at the very next verse when he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is now Luke 18, verse 15. People were also bringing, this isn't random. This is intentionally here in the Bible. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him, them rather. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, look at this, will never enter it. What a statement. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> okay, so we got to receive the kingdom like a child. Otherwise, we're not going to... So what does that mean? So the question I had is, okay, how do we humble ourselves? Interestingly enough, 
I'm going to show you one of the main ways is becoming like little children. Okay? It's, it's like, that sound, might sound funny, but it's true. And it, it's funny, Trish was mentioning, Darla didn't know I was preaching on this today. Isn't it awesome that the children were part of the worship team? That was great, guys. Good job. But we're supposed to become like little children. Okay? And I'm going to talk about what that means, because it's an important thing. I'm going to show you. Look at this. This is Matthew 18, 1 to 5. This is the disciples. They came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom? I hope we all do. Okay, so this is a good question. It's like, what's Jesus going to say to this? <laughs> Look at what, he, what, an, like, what a response. Look at this. He called a little child to him. He placed the child among them as an example. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Talking about humility. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So not only is it crucial to become like children to enter, if you want to be the greatest, you have to humble yourself like a little child. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So I want to point this out. Jesus is serious. <laughs> and this is, sorry, it might sound funny, but he is absolutely serious about coming like children. There's several scriptures on this. Several. This isn't like a one I'm going to show you a bunch. Okay? And what I want to show you is notice how critical this is to salvation. Okay? I want you to think about how poor, important this principle is for salvation. Because we talked to... I'm going to say that. Okay, here's just a, f- a few scriptures on this. I'm just going to do it quick. This is Jesus saying this. The kingdom of God, look at this, belongs to children. This is Luke 18, 16. If you don't receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you'll never enter it. Luke 18, 16. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3. Whoever humbles himself, because remember, we're talking about humility, humbles himself like this child is the greatest, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 4. Why is this important? Remember the verse I started off with that I've been quoting all along in this series. God resists the proud, but what? Gives grace. Grace to the humble. And I've mentioned, you were talking about salvation now. Think about Ephesians 2.8. We are what? Saved by grace, yeah, through faith. Implication from that verse is only the humble are going to receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now notice through faith. What, so it's like, wow, we have a part to play. What's faith? I talked about faith with David. Because there's a connection. There's a connection between faith and humility. Because remember, Jesus says in Luke 18, 16, I just read it, unless you receive, there's a receiving, the kingdom like a little child, you'll never enter it. That's the part we play. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the parable of the sower. He talked about, and that was all about the different conditions of the heart. We're, all, we're talking about the heart. There's different kinds of soil. The good soil, those who can receive the secrets of the kingdom of heaven and multiply it are those who have a good and noble heart. We need to have a heart like a child. We need to be able to humble ourselves like a child in order to receive it. Because if we have prideful hearts, we'll be like the first three kinds of soil, never be able to receive the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom and multiply it. So now, (laughs) okay. So the people who Jesus chose as disciples were the ones who were humble like little children. And I'm going to show you this verse that I mentioned a few weeks ago in this context now. Luke 10, 17 through 22. This is the 72 disciples. Because remember, Jesus chose certain people to be his disciples. Who are the ones he chose is a good question, right? So they went out, did the stuff, preached the kingdom, cast out demons, all the stuff, healed the sick, came back really excited, the 72. Lord, even the demons submit to us in her name. Then he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Pride. Remember, that's what caused it. We talked about that earlier. 
I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submits you, but what? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about salvation. So look at this. At that time, right when he said that, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, we talked about the original Greek word for joy here is jumping up and down, so excited. Like, Jesus is so happy about this. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and what? Revealed them to little children. He's talking about his disciples. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the what? Son chooses to reveal him. Okay, we're talking about salvation now. What did Jesus just say? You revealed these to little children. Then he's saying the Son chooses to reveal them. Who, and the question is, who are the ones Jesus chooses to reveal the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom? We talked about that with the parable of the sower. We're talking about that right now, little children. Those who have a soft posture of heart who can receive the secrets of the... And that's why Jesus talked in parables, if you remember. He did it intentionally to hide them from the pride and the prideful, and he revealed them to little children. Okay, so it's like... You see these mysterious verses. Jesus says this more than once. It's like, many are called, but few are chosen. That's Matthew twenty-two fourteen is one of them. Who are the chosen if many are called? Yeah, that's like a good question. It's like, okay, well, who are the chosen? The humble. God gives grace to the humble. And if you remember from this verse I just showed you, he reveals them to little children, the humble. Those are the chosen ones. Those are the ones who receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. You remember from last week I talked about how God offends the mind to reveal the heart. Some estimates say 20,000. Some say 60,000 people. This is right after Jesus multiplied the bread, are following him. And they're like, this guy's awesome. This is amazing. The miracles. And, and what does Jesus do? He intentionally gives a very, very, very offensive message to weed them out. We talked about that last week if you're interested. So I won't go into the details. He basically said, drink my blood, eat my flesh. No explanation. So <laughs> that really offended them. He whittled the crowd down from, we'll say, 20,000 to 12. Because it said he knew beforehand who was really with him, who would betray him. So he intentionally used an offensive message to weed the true believers out. Interesting side note. I forget... Uh, um, what's the name of those famous books about vampires? I've never read them. Anyway, Twilight, maybe? That author got saved. I read this. Do you know what got her saved? That verse about drink my blood and eat my flesh because of her thing with vampires, and she ended up getting saved from it. So I guess God can use anything, but anyway, whatever. But that was a very offensive message. And in fact, the early Christians got persecuted because there was rumors around Rome that they were cannibals because of those kinds of verses. And the, and the Lord's meal. So anyway, look at this. Jesus says that, John 6, 66, 666, really weird. From this time on, look at this. Many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. So then Jesus, so 20,000 to 12. So he turns to his 12, and look, these are disciples who turned back. They couldn't handle that message. Jesus asked the 12, do you, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Look at this. Simon Peter answered him, look at this humble response. This super offensive message, it's like, are you telling us to be cannibals? Look at his response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Look at this. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Talking about who are the chosen, the humble, the little children. Jesus refers to them in that previous verse I just gave you. It's the little children. The ones who are humble, who can receive the kingdom, multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. It's a condition of the heart. And so it's like, well, what's up with children? Like, what, like, are we supposed to be child? So there's a key distinction. He's not saying be childish. He's saying be childlike. Well, what, what factors of childlikeness is he talking about? Think about, like, children. It's like, they, 
they have trust. They just trust their parents. Like at a certain age, it's like, oh, whatever dad says, that's true. It's like dad knows everything. So it's like dad can say anything. It's like, oh, yeah, that's it's, it's unquestionable trust and confidence in your father. So it's like if God says it, it's like, that must be true. That's faith, right? That's what these disciples did. It's like, man, you just talked about eating flesh and drinking blood. Well, you have the words of eternity. That must be true. Look how humble that is. It's like, man, we don't get this, but that's what he's talking about. So childlikeness isn't childishness. It's humility. It's receiving. That's why he says if you don't receive it like a little child, you'll never enter it. Okay. Now, quickly, so childlike, I want to... Now, how do we humble ourselves is today's question. Quickly, I've been talking about that verse over and over and over again. Like, one way you can answer this question is, what's the surrounding context of these verses in James and Peter, yeah? Because they might tell you a lot about how to humble yourself. It's not like they said it in a vacuum. There's surrounding context. So what I want to show you is there's things that James and Peter talk about around that verse that tell us how to be humble. Okay, so lessons from James. This is James 4, 5 to 8 and verse 10. Now, I'm just not giving you what he's talking about sin previously. And in verse 5, he says, Or do you not think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Look at this. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, look what he says right after. This is what, okay. Verse 7, therefore, what does humility look like? Submit to God. Obedience. Submission to God. And this is what made David such an awesome guy, according to God. This guy had a heart after mine, Acts 3, 22, because he did all my will. He did everything I told him. Yeah, he had some problems. Okay? But when he fell, he was quick to repent, hit the delete button, and say, I'm going full forward for after God. Yeah? And there were consequences, for sure. But... He was so submissive and obedient to God. And that's awesome. He had a posture of heart after God. So submission, doing God's will. Look at, interesting, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. This is in the context of humility. Look at what he says. God resists the proud. We're supposed to resist the devil. Why? Remember what made Satan fall. It was pride. And the thing about Satan is he tries to make us prideful. We talked about this before. Because of this verse, he knows this principle more than a lot of us do because he knows if he can get us prideful about even good things like fasting and prayer and giving, these things are all good, then he knows it'll be counterproductive and actually lead to our fall because if we get prideful about them, that'll result in God resisting us. So it's his, it's his modus operandi to get us prideful about these good things that look so great on the outside. So what, how do we overcome that? We resist him. We have to resist the one who's tempting us to become proud about these things. Okay? And he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Intimacy with God. Relationship with God. Because it's, you know, we talked about this before. It's like, why are you seeking out the scriptures? Is it to gain knowledge, to get puffed up about how much you know about the scripture? Or is it to get to know God more? Right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 39 and 40, you seek the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You don't, they're pointing to me and you're totally missing it. It's like intimacy with God. If that's our motive, that's going to keep us humble. Okay, and he'll draw near to us. In verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. All right, so that's James. What about Peter? Quickly, this is 1 Peter 5, 5 to 11. He's talking about community and he's saying, look at you elders... Don't lord it over those under you. Do it as an example of Christ, the shepherd. Okay? And then he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, talking about community, all of you be submissive to one another. Not just younger people to older. It's everybody. And look at this. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now look at this. Therefore... Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Remember that principle. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Look at what humility is. Casting your cares upon him for he cares for you. What an interesting statement. Now, if you think about it, 
what is anxiety? Now, no condemnation, because we all experience anxiety, but if you think of what, if you just really think about what anxiety is, it has pride at its core, because you're basically, by getting anxious, you're saying, God's not going to take care of this, so I have to take things in my own hand. Yeah? If you had trust and faith, not you, everybody, had faith and trust in God, you wouldn't get anxious ever, right? Like David, he didn't seem very anxious with Goliath. God's going to come through. So it's interesting that we're supposed to actually cast our cares upon God. And that's humility, because we're not trying to do things on our own. Now, I've heard this before. I haven't looked it up. The only other time that I've heard this, someone say this, the only other time that word casting is in the Bible is when they cast... (laughs) They cast Jesus' bags upon a donkey or so. It's like literally casting your cares upon God, for he cares for you, and that's humility. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, look at this, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour, just like James. Resist him. We have to resist the devil, and that's part of humility. That's part of resisting the pride that he's trying to put on us because of our faith and the things we do. Okay. Where do we humble ourselves? I'm just summarizing community. It's funny, like you could live by yourself as a monk in the middle of nowhere and be a really humble person. Wait till you get someone living with you and we'll see how humble you are. (laughs) Yeah? Where the rubber meets the road with everything, fruit of the Spirit, everything, is in the context of community. And over and over again in the epistles, you see this. Whenever they, they talk about humility, it's in the context of community. So look at this, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice the connection between humility and unity. That's what I want to say. Pride is probably the, one of the number one things that causes church splits, divisions, factions, dissensions, all the stuff that comes in the church. Why? I'm so self-righteous. I have it all figured out. You don't. I'm right. You're wrong. If both people are saying that, there's going to be no reconciliation. So if you become self-righteous and prideful, like, look at me. I have it figured out. And this is one of the things I want to say that in community, because we tend to think in terms of right and wrong, and this is something that we're not immune to as Christians— you just look at all the denominations that exist, all of the factions, all of the dissensions, a lot of it can be boiled down to pride, I guarantee you. Because it's like, we're right, you're wrong, so you're not part of our club if you don't have the exact same beliefs I do. And don't get me wrong, there's some crucial, important, fundamental beliefs we all need to be saved. But like I said, it's only the humble are going to be able to receive those truths and actually be saved. Besides that, there's these secondary things that it's like, hey, I'm right, and you need these exact beliefs or else you're not, right? And it's like, man, that's very destructive. If you look in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul lists the lust of the flesh. He lists dissensions, factions, all that stuff, along with drunkenness, sexual immorality, orgies, and witchcraft. And we just think it's normal, like church splits, divisions, (laughs) denominations. Don't get me wrong, denominations are, like, I think they're fine. I'm just saying, like, if it's rooted in, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, you're not a part... Pride. So we got to watch out for that. Colossians 3, and I'm just summarizing, uh, living it out in community, 3, 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear love, clothe yourselves with, look, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive each other. And then at the end, he says, on, on over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Again, unity, unity, unity. Humility is crucial if we're going to walk this faith out in community. Last but not least, Philippians. This is the context of the classic scripture about Jesus being a humble man. Look at what he says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Be like-minded, having the same love, uh, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, notice this is all about community, walking out humility. 
have the same mindset of Christ, and then we just talked about this earlier, right? Who, having been the nature of God, didn't consider equality of God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, being taking on the nature of a servant. And that's what we're all called to do. Because if we don't have the same mindset of Christ, this is not going to happen. We need to put others above ourselves. We need to lift others up, right? Not out of selfish ambition, not out of vain conceit, but putting others above our own interests, is what he says. And this is what Jesus says here. It's just like Peter, was it Peter and his brother, or was it John and James? Either way, they're like, hey, can we, his mother was like, hey, can we have the right and left, can my sons be at your right and left hand? Look what Jesus is. He's like, you know what? The Gentiles lord it over people, not so with you. You become servants. Okay? If you want to be great, you have to be a servant, Jesus says. Serve one another. And whoever wants to be first has to be last. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20. So, just to summarize, what does humility look like? Humility, first of all, is a choice. The Bible, it's an imperative we have to humble ourselves. It's something we do. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it's like, ask God to humble you. Maybe in the Old Testament, I can't think of it. It's always humble yourself. It's a choice we make. Humility is a prerequisite to understanding truth. We talked about that in the second message. Only the humble are going to receive the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Humility is a condition of the heart. We talked a little bit about that today in the last two messages. And last but not least, so what is humility? What does it look like? Jesus, he's our example. Little children, I have all the references up there. Submitting to God, trembling at his word, Isaiah 66, 1-2 says. Resisting the devil as God resists the proud, we should too. Resist him. Drawing near to God, he'll draw near to you. Intimacy, relationship with God. Casting your cares upon God. Valuing others above yourself. Looking to the interest of others. And taking on the nature of a servant. That's what humility looks like. And that's how we humble ourselves. Amen? So I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time we had together. I thank you so much for this wonderful congregation and all the amazing things that you're doing in our midst. I thank you for uh, the new building and everything that you're doing. You're moving. You're arranging things, changing things in our favor. And Lord, I just ask that you, that you just give us the grace to walk this out, Lord that you continue to show us what it really means to be humble, how we humble ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that you promise over and over you'll give grace to the humble. So we just pray for more and more grace. And we thank you that you say that if we humble ourselves, that you'll exalt us. So we just thank you for all of these amazing promises, and I just ask that you continue to fulfill them in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.